title of part four is this, having a godly attitude for authority. <laughs> having a godly attitude for authority. You know, I think the biggest problem in our country today is that this next generation thinks this, if I don't agree with the authority that's in my life, I don't have to honor them. If I don't agree, I don't have to obey. If I don't agree, if I don't agree with them or I don't like them or I don't like their policies, then because I have a right to protest, because I have a right to get on Facebook and blast them, because I have a right to give my opinion to everyone I talk to, I'm going to do it. But the Bible says the exact opposite about the authority figures in our life. And if we want our children to learn to submit to their parents and submit to their teachers and submit to their coaches and submit to policemen and policewomen, then we have to do the same in our life as adults. Romans 13.1 says, Obey those who have authority over you, for no authority can exist without the permission from God himself. He may not have wanted that person in authority. That might not have been his perfect plan, but he allowed them to be in that position. And as long as they're not asking you to do anything immoral or illegal, you're required by God to obey. We can't be like this younger group that thinks, well, if I disagree, I can let everybody know. If I don't like the president, I can make sure to blast him or her on social media. We can't do that. Um, everywhere you go, you have authority. Our church has a kickball team, and the kickball team has a coach. The coach has referees. The referees have instructions from their authority figure. Um, kids have teachers. Teachers have principals. Principals have a school board. There's authority everywhere. And if you don't want your child to have to submit with a good attitude to a specific person in that public school, whether it's a homosexual teacher, an atheist, whatever it is, move them to a Christian school. Otherwise, while they're under that authority, they have to obey. When we disrespect the authority that God's put in our lives, we're actually disrespecting God himself because he allowed it. Now, I have good news and bad news. Here's the good news. If you don't like your authority figure, you can leave. If you don't like America's authority figure, you can move to Canada. You can do it. And if you go, please take all the Canadian geese with you as you go. <laughs> If you don't like your pastor, you can go to a different church. If you don't like your boss, you can change jobs. Here's the bad news, though. If God has called you to that country or that place or that job or that home, God requires you to submit with a good attitude to that authority. And listen, there's a reason you're not in that place. We all, every person under authority thinks this. Well, if I were there, here's what I would do. Well, if I was in that position, here's how I would handle this. Here's the idea is that if I were them, I'd be able to do this much better. Well, guess what? God did not put you there for some odd reason. I don't know why. Maybe he wants you to pass the test where you're at first, and then he'll promote you to a higher position of influence and authority. I have three points for you today, and they all start with the letter H. And number one is this, honor their position. Um, I used to have a hard time with scriptures in the Bible about authority figures because I had some really, really horrible ones growing up and in my first several jobs as a young person. But I realized biblically it's much easier to handle them if you can respect and honor the position that they're in. Uh, when you walk into a courtroom, you always refer to the judge as what? Your honor. Now, if that judge is Hindu or Buddhist, do you still refer to him or her as your honor? What if the judge is gay? What if the judge is mean to you and rude to you? Do you still respond with your honor? Yes. Why? Because they're in a position. 
They're in a position of authority. They're in a position that God allowed them to be in. Romans 13, 7 says, Give respect to whom respect is owed, and honor where honor is due. Honor means to carry great weight. It carries great weight in your life. What their word, their words carry great weight. The Bible talks about honoring the gray head of an old man. The Bible talks about honoring your elders. It's all through the Bible. You know, David in the Old Testament, he was a young man and God already told him, my goal for you is to be in such an incredible place of authority, you're going to be the greatest king of Israel. That's my goal, to get you to this authoritative position. But in the meantime, David's current boss, King Saul, was a horrible boss. Now, I don't know how many of you have had really bad bosses at some job growing up. This boss was trying to kill him. I haven't had a boss that bad yet in my life that's actually trying to kill me, trying to kill David. Finally, David gets the upper hand. Finally, David has some dirt on this boss that he's about to put on social media. Finally, David has somebody in his ear. He's about to tell people all these wrong things about Saul. David's finally ready to get back at him, to really let him have it. And here's how he responds in 1 Samuel 26, 24. I will not lift a finger against the Lord's anointed. Whoa, David, he's trying to kill you. He's making your life miserable. How can you say he's anointed? Here's why. The position that he's in is anointed. Amen. See, your, your mother, the, the, the woman that's raising you or, or, or that changed your diapers or that makes sure you got three meals a day, she's in a position. And if you ever think, you know what, I don't really like my, my mom today. Here's something you need to think about. There's times she don't like you either, just so you know. <laughs> The feeling is mutual, okay? I don't like my boss today. Your boss probably doesn't like you sometimes either. It's mutual. But they're in a position that's anointed by. Here's what I want you to see today. It's really important. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's never about who's wiser. It's not about who's more educated. It's not about who's had more experience. It's about this. Who's in the position of authority? All through life, you're going to be tested with this. It's not, listen, I know you might be wiser. I know you might have better ideas. We know, we know. But here's the final thing. Who did God allow to be in that position? You know, every teenager thinks they know more than their parents at some point. You know, there was actually one teenager on planet Earth that really did know more than his parents. The one teenager in the world who actually knew more than his parents was Jesus. And he still chose to submit to them with a good attitude. Um, when Joseph was around, he was a young man. The most ungodly authority in the world was Pharaoh. I mean, he worshipped false gods, you know, horrible, horrible guy. And here's how Joseph responded. Genesis 41, 46. When he was 30 years old, he began, watch this, serving. He served Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, I don't know if you've ever read your Bible, this story, but the Bible says that Pharaoh was not a Republican. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. He was not a Republican. Pharaoh, watch this, he was probably for abortion. Pharaoh could not even ride a bicycle without falling off the bicycle. And what did Joseph do? He served him. Because the position that he was in meant this is my authority figure. My job is to make his life easier. My job is to honor the position that he's in. Um, I want you to think about something while I read in Mark 1, 1 through 6. Don't put it up yet, but I want you to think about this. If there's anyone in this room who needs a miracle in your family, now, I don't mean, you know, one that you kind of share with the church or your, your study groups, but a miracle within the walls of your house. 
In fact, just, just I don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of you, and you can kind of just in your heart, how many of you need a miracle in your home? Like there's something in your home, there's a, there needs to be some peace or some direction or some wisdom or some forgiveness. There's something in your home that you need Jesus to do and nothing can be done unless Jesus does it. It's not one of those things where you can learn this or learn that that'll change it. You need a miracle in your home. I'm sure some, everybody, think about that during this next scripture. Mark 1, 1 through 6, 6, 1 through 6. Jesus came to his hometown where he grew up. It's very important you realize that. He began to teach in the synagogue, the church, and many people listened. What wisdom is this? How does this guy have this wisdom? How can he do miracles? Is this not the carpenter that built those stairs on the back of our house? Isn't that the guy that, 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 that changed the locks on our door for us? He's the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And their disapproval, watch this, it blinded. They could not see that God could use this human being. They could not, they were blinded to the fact that this man could be used by God because they were so familiar with him. It says this, and Jesus said this, a prophet has honor everywhere he goes except for one place. The prophet, you know, when that husband, when that man's at work, boy, they honor him at work. He gets so much honor at work. When that woman, when that wife, when she's with her friends, they think she's great. They respect her. They honor her. But there's one place where the prophet gets no honor. It is so sad in his hometown, among his relatives, in his home. Now, Jesus could do no miracles because of their unbelief. We grew up with this. I taught him in third grade. He built those stairs on the back of our porch. I've heard him burp in a restaurant before. There's no way God could speak through my husband. He leaves his dirty underwears on the ground every weekend. I got to pick up after And you're telling me God can speak through him? You're telling me God could use him? To give us clear direction for our home? You're telling me that God can use him to do a miracle for my life? I've heard him get angry before. I heard him cuss. Obviously, he's from New York. I've heard him cuss. <laughs> no honor, no miracles. No honor, no... Could it be that there's no miracles in your home because you're withholding all the honor where honor is due? You, you know your husband's in a position. He's in a position, and it's not a position that requires perfection, by the way. Your wife is in a position. Familiarity breeds dishonor. It breeds dishonor. You know, I think one of the things that contributed to my little meltdown was um, every few years, Forbes magazine puts out a list of the top ten most horrific jobs in America, and pastoring has always been around number six or seven. Well, this past year, when Forbes put it out, pastoring has gone up to number four. Because of all the suicides in USA among pastors, especially over in California and areas like that. And the reason that, that pastors are so lonely, not me, but every other pastor in the world, is because um, they can't have any friends. Because once someone finds out they're normal, they lose all their influence. They think, this guy can't be used by God. He can't tell me what to do. Now, he wants me to listen to him. He don't even do this, 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 and this. I know him. So every time another human is around a pastor, a pastor has to be fake. I say fake. They have to faith it. They have to put on a show, make sure they're perfect. If they say the wrong thing, look the wrong way, do the wrong thing, they lose somebody. They lose a friend. 
It's a horrible way to feel. But the greatest gift that my wife has, greatest gift, is she knows the horrible things about me, and she still thinks I can hear from God. You know, all your husband wants to know is this. All your husband wants to know is this. Do you think he can hear from God? See, we know our wives hear from God because they tell us. We know they can hear from God. <laughs> but a husband wants to know, do you think I, you know, the greatest thing you could ever do to honor or respect that man is to say this. What do you think God's saying about this? What did God tell you we should do with our finances? What did God say to you about this situation with one of our kids? There is no higher level of respect than when you ask someone their opinion based on what did God say to you. Ephesians 5.33 says the wife should always honor and respect her husband. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say the wife obeys the husband. Just so you know, that's not in the Bible. It says to submit, but it says to submit to the man who's the head of the home. Here's what head of the home means. Head of the home doesn't mean I tell you what to do. Head of the home means I'm required to get our family to hear from God. That's what a good leader does. A good leader helps people to hear from God. And, and it's, it's easy to honor and respect that man until you, you see the dirty, you know, Dorito fingerprints on the bed sheets. He don't hear from God. God's saying, bring me some more Doritos. Um, God doesn't speak through perfect people. He speaks through people like you. See, we love to obey when we hear from God directly. We hate to obey when we hear from God through a person who we disagree with. It's the highest level of pride there is, actually. You know, um, God speaks through authority figures that are imperfect. Moses murdered a man, and God said, here's ten commandments that's going to last until, you know, the end of time. Give them to two million people. Um, Peter cussed, and Jesus said, you're going to be in charge of the church. Timothy was a teenager, and God made him a pastor. David was an adulterer, and God made him a king. Jacob was a liar. God put him in charge of Israel. Elijah was bipolar. And he was the prophet, if you want to hear. One day, Elijah's calling down fire from heaven. The very next day, 1 Kings 19.4, Elijah prayed, God, I've had enough. Take my life and kill me now. He got off his meds. <laughs> Balaam's donkey was an ass. In Numbers 22-28, says, The Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and it said, What have I done to you? <laughs> Listen, if God can speak through an ass, he can speak through your husband. Don't ever forget that. You can even go home and tell him that. The pastor said, you're in, and if your wife says it, you say, well, yep, God can speak through that too. So point number two is this, heed their instruction. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them for they're constantly keeping watch over your souls. And that's a very, very hard job. As they will have to give an account, which I don't want to do, let them do this with joy and not with grief. Um, I've had the privilege of going to other countries and preaching it at different churches and um, I love the different cultures out there, especially I love Bermuda. Bermuda's all by itself off the coast of like North Carolina on the way. It's owned by England. And um, they have very different um, cultural guidelines and rules for the church than we do. One of them is you cannot wear jeans to church whatsoever, especially if you're the guest speaker. What's very funny is you can wear shorts while you're preaching. Shorts, as long as you have a suit and tie and jacket on, with shorts. Only problem if I wore shorts, they'd think the glory of God had appeared, you know, through my white legs. But but so when I go there, I don't think this, you know what, my church is bigger than yours. I can wear what I want to wear. I'm the guest speaker. You asked me to come here and preach. I should get to I get to wear jeans at my church back home. I would never do that to that man or that woman. Here's why 
They're the authority over that place. How dare I say God's telling me something different than the very one who God put in charge of it? You think I'm going to go to that man or that pastor and say, hey, God spoke to me and said I can wear jeans. He told me to get lost, and he should tell me to get lost. Because God will never speak more clearly about a place than he will to the person who he put in charge of the place. God will never tell me how you should raise your kids. He'll never tell me if I should take off my shoes or leave my shoes on when I walk into your house. That's your house. Are you with me on that? Um, it, there's, it says in Hebrews 13, 17, I already read that. When we disobey our authority that God's put in our lives, we're disobeying God. It's a very tough pill to swallow because, again, we love to obey God when he speaks directly to us. It's very difficult when he speaks through a person. Um, Ephesians 6, 1 is a New Testament commandment. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this. You know, parents love this scripture, but every parent in this room hated this scripture when you were a child. <clears throat> now we love that scripture, right? You know what? There's scriptures exactly like this for adults. Now, when it comes to parents, as an adult, you honor your parents. You don't have to obey them as an adult. But when you're a child, you do have to obey them. Um, I heard Mark Twain, this is a quote. He said, when I was 14 years old, my father was so stupid, I could hardly stand to be around him. But by the time I reached 21 years old, I was amazed at how much wisdom that man had learned. <laughs> you get it? When he got older, he realized, okay. Anyway, <clears throat> do you know... The first thing that Adolf Hitler did when he wanted to control and turn an entire group toward evil, the very first thing he did is he went to the children and he told them, if you disagree with your parents, you don't have to obey them. Isn't that the most horrible, horrible thing? And you know what's sad? Is our country's doing the same thing right now. If you disagree with their morals, if you disagree with the law, if you disagree with this, you don't have to obey. Just do whatever you feel. That's the very first thing that Hitler did. Um, in the Old Testament, Abram and Sarah, they wanted a child very, very bad. And Sarah, the wife, she wasn't getting pregnant quick enough. And so she had the light bulb, you know. Uh, honey, why don't you sleep with the maid? And maybe the maid will give us a baby. And Abraham said, well, you twist my arm. I guess I'll do it. And so he did it, <clears throat> and, uh, begrudgingly. And uh, in Genesis 16, 4, it says, when the maid, when Hagar found out she was pregnant, she became proud and was hateful to Sarai. When Sarai dealt with harshly with Hagar, humbling her, here's what she did, she ran away. You know the reason that most people don't get to a great level of promotion in life is because they're constantly running away when they disagree. They're constantly running away when they don't like their boss. They're constantly running away whenever things don't go. How many teenagers run away because the parent says, well, you need to get up at this time. You need to clean your room. You need to get rid of the drugs, whatever it is. We run away when we disagree. So sad. Do you know how God treated Hagar when she ran away? In verse 9, the angel called up to her and said this, you need to go back. You need to go back to that place. But, the, but she's not treating me right. But she's your authority. But I don't like her. It doesn't matter. But I disagree. Who cares? You need to go back and you need to humbly submit to her. You know, Hagar did that. And you know, after no time, God removed that authority and he got Hagar out of there and blessed her tremendously. I give you my word on this. God will never allow you to continue to be mistreated by somebody. But when you pass the test, he'll either move you or he'll move them. But he'll move somebody. But after you pass the test, after you pass the test, um, Proverbs 10, 17 says this, whoever heeds instruction is on the pathway to life, but those who ignore correction, they'll end up going away anyway. 
You know, in this church, uh, we've assigned certain people to be authority figures. One is the ushers. The ushers are an authority. Security team, they're an authority. Our hospitality team, they're an authority. When an usher asks you to sit at the very back of church when you come in, you know, after the service has started or something, the usher says, we need you to sit at the back. Or the hospitality team person says, we need you to take your baby to the nursery. Listen real close. If you can't submit to a nice old man who's trying to keep peace and do security, if you can't submit to a wonderful woman who's very caring and loving, saying, please take your baby to the nursery, if you can't submit to that, you'll never submit to a young, sometimes obnoxious and impatient pastor. It'll never happen. It's the quickest way we weed people out of this church. And listen, God will never use you if you can't submit to an usher in a church. If you can't submit to an usher in a church, in a church, why would you even come to a church? If you won't submit to him, you'll never submit to me. God will never you. How far do you think God will take you? How much influence will he give you? How much leadership will he use you for if you can't submit to a lady that says, please take your baby to the nursery? How far do you think you can really go? I know that point didn't go over well, but I loved it so much. First point three, humble yourself. Here's the answer. We have to humble ourselves. This is my favorite, my top three favorite scriptures. Isaiah 66, 2. God said, I created the whole universe. The mountains, the ocean, the sun. But there's only one thing I'm looking for. I just want a humble person who's going to obey me. You know, pride is this. I have a better way. Pride is they need to hear my opinion. Pride is, pride is, if I don't tell them they can make the wrong decision, i got to be the voice of God. That's, that's pride, pride, pride. So I'm going to show you how we handle this. Uh, I'm going to give you a little quick teaching on humility, and I'll close. And, uh, but I'm not going to really get to my point to the end. So you're going to have to use a lot of brain power for the next seven minutes. Okay, a lot of brain power. Uh, Moses was the man. I mean, he was the man, and he ended up dying before the Israelites got into the promised land. So he put Joshua in charge before he died. Now Joshua was second in command, always humbled himself to Moses. So obviously God chose him to lead the people into the promised land. The promised land consisted of many cities. The first city was the most fortified, and it was Jericho. It was the first of many cities of the promised land, filled with giants. So Joshua's first role as senior pastor is to get two million people into the promised land and defeat the giants. So the night before, he stands on the side of a hill, and he's just looking at Jericho in the distance, just thinking, you know, God, I'm in charge now, but I need you. I mean, I can't do it without you. And all of a sudden, as he's standing there, this dude shows up right in front of him with a sword out of the sheave, just sitting there like, like pointing to Joshua. And here's the story, Joshua 5.13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up, and you see man is capitalized. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. He saw a man was standing opposite him with the sword drawn. Like the, the, the gun was caught. Like there was a bullet in the hole. It wasn't even, you know, what the safety wasn't on. Like it was out there. And Joshua said to him, are you for us or are you against us? And the man said, no. I, I, okay, so let me just say real quick. Every theologian in the world agrees this is Jesus in the Old Testament. This is Jesus. We actually see it in Joshua 6 and actually describes it as Jesus. But, but even if it's not Jesus, um, it's an angel. Even if it's not an angel, it's a dude with a sword in his hand. Okay, it's, And I love, I think Jesus is the funniest guy in the world. I love this. Uh, are you for us or against them? No. It's like, um, 
You know, back in the 90s, McDonald's drive-thru, they were trained to ask you after you order, do you want ice cream or a milkshake? And if you're smart, you'd say, no. ice cream. You'd say, no, no, of course you'd say, no, okay, no. I've come as captain of the army of the Lord. And Joshua bowed down and said, what does the Lord say to me? And here's what the Lord said, remove your shoes from your feet. And Joshua did so. Take your shoes off. Now, give me, give me six more minutes to explain this. Um, when you remove your shoes, here's what it means. It's a sign of humility, and it means you're giving up your right. Everybody say, give up your right. Give, right, up, give your right. right. Okay. Give up your right. So he's asking Joshua, I need you to give up your right. Are you forced or for? No, no. I need you to give up your right. I need you to give your right. Now, all through the Bible, I want to show you, taking off your shoes means give up your right. Okay, stay with me. Uh, when Moses was on the side of the mountain, the burning bush spoke, uh, Exodus 3, 5, God said to Moses, take off your shoes for the place you're at. God was saying this, uh, Moses, if you want the destiny that I have for you, you have to give up what you want for you. Um, if you want me to put my dream in your heart, you have to give up the dream you have for you that's in your heart. Are you with me? Stay, stay with me. It's really important to me. Moses, I need you to give up everything if you want me to be in charge. I know you think you're in charge. I know you think you're in charge. And Moses, I, you're doing, but I need you to give up all of that if you want me to be, because we both can't be in charge. Either you're in charge or I'm in charge, but we both can be in charge. So you got to give up your right, okay? Uh, there's a famous story in the Old Testament where this rich man named Boaz um, really liked and wanted to marry this uh, young, pretty, but poor woman named Ruth. And he wanted to marry Ruth, except Ruth's husband died, but there was something called a near kinsman redeemer, which meant there was another man in line who could marry Ruth before Boaz. So Boaz goes to this guy and says, listen, I want to marry this woman, but you're next in line. Do you want to marry her? And the guy says, you know what? She's hot. I would like to marry her. And then Boaz says, okay, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to buy this land that her family owned. And the man said, you know what? I don't want to marry her. I don't want to marry her. If it's going to cost me, I don't want to marry her. And so, and by the way, guys, it'll always cost you when you marry a woman. By the way, it'll cost you everything you have and more and everything else. And so Ruth 4, 7 says this. This was the custom in Israel, redeeming, exchanging. One man would take off his sandal and give it to another man. He'd say, listen, okay, I'm giving up my right. I know that I have a right to marry her, but I'm giving it all up and I'm giving it to you. Are you with me? Let me show you another one. Deuteronomy 25, 7. You're going to love it. If a man does, no, so if, if, if your brother's wife, if the bro, your brother dies, then you get a right to marry his wife and take care of her. If a man doesn't want to take his brother's wife, let the brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, my husband's brother won't perform the duty of taking care of me and marrying me. The elders of the city shall call him. But if he stands firm and says, listen, I've been with her at Thanksgiving for the past four years. Her breath stinks. She's always getting drunk at Christmas time. And I just don't, I do not want to take her. Then his brother's wife shall come to him, remove his sandal from his foot and spit in his face. So she gets a little bit of revenge after, you know, you don't want to marry me? You know, I'll let you. But she takes his shoe, right? So she gets you. So again, he's given up the right. Okay, you with me? Be glad you're not sitting on the front row during that one. Okay. So take off your shoe, give up your right. We're all on the same page. Remember when John the Baptist was baptizing people? Matthew 3.11, he said this. Um, Jesus, the one that's coming, I'm not fit to ask him to give up his life for me. I can't ask him, I can't even take the, 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 the sandal off of his foot, right? Okay, 
So take me back to Joshua 5.13. It's the next slide. Okay. So are you on my side or are you on their side? No. Just so you know, people say there's his side, her side, and the truth. Have you heard that phrase before? Okay, that's a lie. There's only two sides. It is always either God's side or the devil's side. There's only two sides. The question isn't whose side is Jesus on. The question is, are you on the side of Jesus? I remember um, years ago, this couple forced me to give them some marriage counseling, which I don't do and I hate doing, I'll never do. But they locked me, they, you know, like, they, they bombarded me in my office and please tell us, you know, da, da, da. So they told me the story and I just started saying, okay, well, you need to do this. And, da, 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 da. and finally the husband said, John Paul, whose side are you on? And I said, I'm on God's side. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? See, when you take off your sandal, you're, you, when, you, when you give up your right to be in charge, then you give Jesus the right to be in charge of your life. But both of you can't be in charge. Are you with me? Um, what's the first thing that Jesus did at the Last Supper? He washed their what, what, what had to happen for him to wash their feet? Now, if you ever want to see me in the Bible, I'm David in the Old Testament, and I'm Peter in the New Testament, okay? I am 100% Peter, okay? And when I watch The Chosen, I just laugh. Remember what Peter said in John 13, 8? Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. No, 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 no. You can't wash. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, and he didn't say feet, if I don't wash you, if I, I'm the only one that can wash your sins away. If I don't wash you, you won't be with me. But Peter, here's what Peter was saying. This isn't right. Now listen real close. Peter was correct. That wasn't right. Never once can a rabbi serve the students. The students always serve the rabbi. Peter said, this isn't right. And Jesus was saying, yep, give that up. See, a lot of times when it comes to our authority, our spouse, we think this, well, I'm right. Okay, give that up. Well, I'm right and they're wrong. And Jesus is saying this, give up. It's not called give up your wrongs, by the way. It's called give up your rights. You might be right. You might be wiser. You might be correct. Give it up. When you give it up, you say, Jesus, you're in charge because you're the one that allowed that authority to be there. You're in charge. Okay. You know, there is something you are supposed to put on your feet. Ephesians 6.15, you're supposed to put on the shoes of peace. The greatest peace you'll ever experience as you serve God is to trust God by trusting who he put in authority. I'm not saying to put your trust in a person. No, 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 no. I'm saying put your trust in God. He took care of you before that authority was in your life. He'll take care of you. If he wants to kill that authority, he will. If he wants to remove me, the, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he turns it whichever way he chooses. If God wants you to be lifted up, he will. If God wants you to be lifted down, he will. Let Jesus be in charge. Now, I want to close with this. Um, there is somebody that took the shoes off of Jesus. Luke 7, 37, there was a woman who was known as a notorious wicked sinner. She washed his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. And she anointed them with perfume. Now I have a question for you. Who is more right, Jesus or a prostitute? Who's wiser, Jesus or a prostitute? Who is the better leader, Jesus or the prostitute? Yet, he gave up his rights 
to humbly serve a notorious, wicked sinner. The greatest leader in the world gave up his rights. If there's anyone that had the right to be right, it'd be him, and he gave it up. So I'll close with this. Um, years ago, I was in a doctor's office or somewhere. I think, yeah, I was with one of the kids at the doctor's office, and there was magazines, and there's a National Geographic, so I picked that up, and this, um, this photographer was writing a story with some of his pictures in there about how he was in South Africa, uh, South America, and he was um, taking pictures of wildlife and things like that. And he came to this one point in the brush, there was like a little a stream, a narrow stream, and on the side there was like two big hills or, you know, like, almost like the side of a small mountain or whatever. And there was this um, very narrow man-made bridge that was over the little bit of water. It wasn't that wide, but it was incredibly narrow. As he's at the bottom taking pictures of the water and everything, all of a sudden out of the brush on one side, this goat, this large, um, strong, older goat, you know, with big old horns, or, and, and it, it comes out of the brush and it starts walking on the bridge, and he thinks, oh, and he's capturing the pictures, you know. And much to his surprise, all of a sudden he looks to the left, and on the other side of the bridge, a smaller goat starts walking in the same direction. And he's snapping the shots, and it all of a sudden occurred to him, oh, no, when they get in front of each other, they're going to start butting heads. Obviously, the big older one's going to win, and that small one's going to fall to its death. And at first he felt bad, and he thought, well, you know, at least I'll catch the picture of it. You know, maybe I'll get some kind of award. So he's snapping the shot, and they got closer and closer and closer. And all of a sudden, it said it shocked him to no end. The bigger goat, the wiser one, the elder goat, laid its body on the bridge and allowed the smaller goat to walk over it to go to the other side and then the bigger goat sat back up and went towards his end of the bridge. If anything, you would have thought the opposite, right? Listen, sometimes in life, if God's ever going to get us across the bridge, if we're ever going to fulfill our destiny, I'm not saying let anybody walk all over you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that sometimes you got to humble yourself you got to lay your opinion down. you got to lay your fight down. you got to lay your right down and say, God, I trust you to get me where I need to go. Amen. 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 Okay, and that is how we handle authority in our life.